0: chapter fourteen of the mystery of the downs by john watson and arthur j Rees. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva chapter fourteen crewe steered to the stone landing-place and tied the little motor-boat to a rusty iron ring which dangled from a stout wooden stake wedged between two of the seaweed covered stones the tide was out and the top of the landing-place stood well out of the water but it was an easy matter for a young and vigorous man to spring up to the top though three rough and slippery steps had been cut near the ring perhaps for the original builder in his old and infirm days looking down he noticed that while his little boat floated easily enough alongside a boat of slightly deeper draught would have scraped on the rocky bottom which was visible through the clear water the surface of the landing-place was moist and the intersections between the rough stones were filled with seaweed and shells indicating that the place was covered at high tide crewe had come from staveley by boat instead of motoring across his object being to make a complete investigation of cliff farm without attracting chance attention or rural curiosity about his motor-car which was too big to go into the stables he wanted to be undisturbed and uninterrupted in his investigation of the house as he entered the boathouse he looked back to where he had left his boat and saw that the landing-place was high enough out of the water to prevent passers-by on the cliff road seeing the boat before high tide by that time he hoped to have completed his investigations and be on his way back to staveley the boat house was a small and rickety structure perched on a rough foundation of stones which had been stacked to the same height as the landing place the inside was dismal and damp and the woodwork was decaying part of the roof had fallen in and the action of wind and sea and storm had partly destroyed the boarded sides many of the boards had parted from the joists and hung loosely or had fallen on the stones an old boat lay on the oozing stones with its name polly barely decipherable on the stern and a kedge anchor and rotting coil of rope inside it crewe had no doubt that it was the boat james Lumston used to go fishing in many years ago a few decayed boards in front of the boathouse indicated the remains of a wooden causeway for launching the boat in a corner of the shed was a rusty iron windlass which suggested the means whereby the eccentric old man had been able to house his boat without assistance when he returned with his catch having finished his scrutiny of the boatshed and its contents crewe made his way up the cliff path and walked across the strip of downs to the farm cliff farm looked the picture of desolation and loneliness in the chill gray autumn afternoon its gaunt closely shuttered ugliness confronted crew uncompromisingly as though defying him to wrest from it the secret of the tragic death of its owner it already had that air of neglect and desertion which speedily overtakes the house which has lost its habitants there was no sign of any kind of life the meadows were empty of livestock somewhere in the outbuildings at the side of the house an unfastened door flapped and banged drearily in the wind even the front door required main strength to force it open after it had been unlocked as though it shared with the remainder of the house the determination to keep the secret of the place and resented intrusion the interior of the house was dark close and musty through the closed and shuttered windows not a ray of light or a breath of air had been able to find an entrance crewe's first act was to open the shutters and the windows on the ground floor his next to fling open the front and back doors and the doors of the rooms he wanted all the light he could get for the task before him and some fresh air to breathe he soon had both wholesale pure strong air from the downs blowing in through doors and windows stirring up the accumulated dust on the floors causing it to float and dance in the sunbeams that streamed in the front windows from the rays of an evening sun which had succeeded in freeing himself in his last moments above the horizon from the mass of gray clouds that had made the day so chill and cheerless crewe commenced to examine each room and its contents with the object of trying to discover something which would assist him in his investigation of the cliff farm murder he worked carefully and minutely but with the swiftness and method of a practised observer the front room that he first entered detained him only a few minutes originally designed for the sitting-room it had been dismantled and contained very little furniture and had evidently not been used for a considerable time a slight fissure in the outside wall explained the reason the fissure had made the room uninhabitable by admitting wind and weather causing damp to appear on the walls and loosening the wallpaper till it hung in festoons crewe next examined the opposite front room in which sergeant westaway conducted his preliminary inquiries into the murder this room was simply furnished with furniture of an antique pattern apparently it had been used at a more or less recent date as a sitting-room for a few old books and a couple of modern cheaply bound novels were lying about a needle with a piece of darning cotton which was stuck in the wall suggested a woman's occupation or perhaps the murdered man or his grandson had done bachelor darning there in the winter evenings the latter hypothesis seemed most probable to crewe only a very untidy member of the other sex would have left a darning needle sticking in the sitting-room wall crewe then examined the room behind the front room in which marsland and miss maynard had sat before discovering the murdered man it was the front room of an english farmhouse of a bygone age kept for show and state occasions but not for use crowded with big horsehair chairs and a horsehair sofa there were two tables a large round one with a mahogany top and a smaller one used as a stand for the lamp marsland had lit a glass case of stuffed birds an old clock in a black case on the mantelpiece which had been stopped so long that its works were festooned with spiders webs a few dingy oil paintings on the walls alternately representing scenes from the scriptures and the english chase, and a moth-eaten carpet on the floor there was also a small glass bookcase in a corner containing some bound volumes of the leisure hour of the sixties peter parley's annual johnson's dictionary an ancient everyday book and an old family bible with brass clasps it was in the room next to the sitting-room that crewe found the first article which suggested possibilities of a clue it was a small room which had evidently been used by a former occupant as an office for it contained an oak case holding account-books some files of yellowing bills hanging from nails on the wall and an old-fashioned writing-bureau it was this last article that attracted crewe's attention it was unlocked and he examined closely the papers it contained but they threw no light on the mystery of cliff farm being for the most part business letters receipted bills and household accounts there was a bundle of faded letters in one of the pigeon-holes tied with black ribbon which had been written to mrs james lumsden from somebody who signed himself yours to command geoffrey la Touche these letters were forty years old and had been sent during a period of three years from her majesty's sloop hyacinth at different foreign ports they were stiff and formal though withal courteous in tone and various passages in them suggested that the writer had been an officer in the royal navy and a relative of mrs Lumston. they ceased with a letter written to james lumsden esq expressing the writer's deep regret and sincere sorrow on learning of his dear niece's sad and premature end, there was another room opposite this office which had doubtless been intended for a breakfast room but was now stored with odds and ends superfluous articles of furniture some trunks a pile of bound volumes of the illustrated london news and a few boxes full of miscellaneous rubbish the passage on which these rooms opened terminated in two stone steps leading into the kitchen which was the full width of the house a notable piece of furniture in this room was an oaken dresser with shelves reaching to the ceiling there were also a deal table some kitchen chairs and an armchair from the blackened beams of its low sloping ceiling some hams and strings of onions hung and an open tea caddy stood on the table with a leaden spoon in it as though somebody had recently been making tea an old brown earthenware teapot stood by the fireplace with tea leaves still in the pot and crewe noticed on the mantelpiece a churchwarden pipe with a spill of paper alongside he found a pair of horn spectacles and an old newspaper on the top of the press beside the old-fashioned fireplace evidently the kitchen had been the favorite room of frank lumsden's grandfather the eccentric old man who had built the landing place before examining the upper portion of the house crewe closed the doors and windows he had opened restoring things to the condition in which he had found them then he went upstairs and after opening the windows and blinds as he had opened them downstairs entered the room in which the murdered man had been discovered it was while crewe was thus engaged that his quick ears detected a slight crunch of footsteps on the ground outside as though somebody was approaching the house the room he was searching looked out on pasture land but he was aware that there was a gravel path on the other side running from the outbuildings at the side to the rear of the house he crossed over to the corresponding room on that side of the house and looked out of the open window but could see no one he ran quietly downstairs and into the kitchen his idea was to watch the intruder by looking through one of the kitchen windows without revealing his own presence but he found to his annoyance that the little diamond-shaped kitchen window which looked out on the back was so placed as to command a view of only a small portion of the bricked yard at the back of the house he waited for a moment in the hope that the visitor would enter the house through the unlocked kitchen door but as he heard no further sound he decided to go in search of the person whose footsteps he had heard he opened the door and looked over the empty yard suddenly a woman's figure appeared in the doorway of the barn on the left immediately she saw crewe she retreated into the shed in the hope that she had not been seen in order to undeceive her on this point crewe walked down the yard to the barn but before he reached it she came out to meet him she was young and pretty and well dressed you are mr crewe she said with composure and you are miss maynard we have not met before but i have heard a great deal about you she read suspicion in his use of the conventional phrase and she decided to meet it i came out to look at the old place at the scene of this dreadful tragedy before finally deciding what I ought to do he realized that having said so much she had more to say and he gave her no assistance perhaps mr marsland has not told you mr crewe that i was with him in the house when he discovered the body he has not replied crewe that makes it all the more difficult for me i do not mind telling you for you are his friend and you are such a clever man that i feel i will be right in taking your advice crewe's mental reservation to be slow in offering her advice was an indication that his suspicions of her were not allayed i also sought shelter here from the storm on that fateful night she continued but because i was afraid of the gossip of ashlingsea i asked mr marsland if he would mind keeping my name out of it and he very generously promised to do so a grave error on both sides said crewe she was quick on seizing the first opening he gave her that is the conclusion i have come to that is why i think i ought to go to the police and tell them that i was here they may be able to make something out of my story they may be able to see more in it than i can my simple statement of facts might fit in with some other information in their possession of which i know nothing and in that way might lead to the detection of the man who killed frank Lumston. but how can i go to them and tell them i was here after i begged mr marsland to say nothing about me he would never forgive me for placing him in such an embarrassing position it would not be right and it is not right to keep from the police any information to which they are entitled that is my difficulty she said with a smile of gratitude to him for stating it so clearly i have no hesitation in advising you to tell the police the whole truth said crewe and mr marsland he must extricate himself from the position in which his promise to you has placed him he knows that the promise should never have been made and doubtless in the end he will be glad to have been released from it i hope he will understand my motives she said perhaps not but he will begin to realize what all young men have to learn that it is sometimes difficult to understand the motives which actuate young ladies that reply seemed to indicate to her that their conversation had reached the level of polite banter will you plead for me she asked that is outside my province was the disappointing reply i understood you to say miss maynard that you came here that night for shelter from the storm did you arrive at the house before marsland or after him there was a moment of hesitation before her reply was given a few minutes before him no doubt you will materially assist the police by giving them a full account of what you know said crewe End of chapter fourteen